Let's open up with a word of prayer. Holy Father, full of grace and truth, we approach the throne of grace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, confessing our unworthiness, our inadequacy, our frailty, and our need for your spirit. Lord, we ask that you would bless our time together, not only this morning, this hour, but we ask that you would bless our time together over the next few days as we consider the doctrine of the church and its importance in our day-to-day life as sojourners, as pilgrims, seeking to honor you in all that we do. Lord, we pray for those that wanted to be with us this morning and this week, but have been providentially hindered. We ask that you would be with them at this time as well, and that they would be able to enjoy and delight in the means of sermon audio and and other means to be with us online, and may it be profitable to them as well. And we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Saints, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and greetings from the saints at Sentinella Baptist Church in Lawndale, California. Indeed, it is a pleasure to be with you this morning to open up God's Word, and over the next few days, I invite with you now. I invite you now to turn with me to the hundred and thirty-third Psalm, Psalm one thirty-three. Our devotional to open up the twenty twenty-two GA will be on the topic of ecclesial unity by way of the 133rd Psalm, verse 1. But let's go ahead and read the entire psalm for context. Hear now the word of our triune God. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Sion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and now to our time together this morning. In the 133rd Psalm, one of the 15 songs of ascent, David pens a praise to the Lord concerning the topic of unity. While psalms of praise and adoration are not necessarily uncommon, I mean the subsequent two psalms, after the 133rd are specific psalms of praise and adoration unto the Lord, seldom does David, does King David really speak of unity in such a way as it is stated in Psalm 133, verse 1. Seldom does he observe God's people and confess such unity. And this is because the people of old were anything but united 99% of the time. They were stiff-necked. They always rebelled day in and day out against the Lord. 
They were hardly of one accord. Tribes battling with tribes, families with families. And David, a man after God's own heart, now king, reigning over all of Israel, looks out to the people and sees the work of the Lord and praises him for it. This unity is of the Lord and indeed is a thing of beauty. So as we unpack this verse for our morning devotional, I want us to consider three things. Primarily, first, the kind of unity spoken here. The kind of unity spoken of here. Second, the blessings of this specific unity. And third and finally, the goal of this unity. So first and foremost, the unity spoken of here. Again, the text reads, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. There are many things that may unite us as those made in the image of God, as image bearers of God. There may be many things that bring us together, common things. Perhaps a love of our country uh, is an example. When something tragic happens in our country, you might watch the, no- uh, the news and hear your uh, local news anchor, or local politician call for unity. We need to be united as a nation. We've heard this Time and time again, it's very common, right after something tragic happens. I remember a call for unity that lasted years after 9-11. I know many of you remember that. We had every news, every news program called for the country to be united, to come together during this very difficult time. Or maybe you're in the military, right? Maybe you're in the military. I know the Marines say something like, once a Marine, always a Marine. It's a slogan that unites them, that, that brings them together. It's a common bond that they have. But even if you're in a different branch of the military, I mean, you're all those that have defended our country, and that unites you in and of itself. Such bonds are admirable, and in and of themselves, intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with them. But there's a greater unity spoken of in our text this morning, specifically the unity between brethren, between brothers and sisters in Christ. This oneness that is observed by the psalmist is a work of the Lord. It is a work of the Lord. It was God by His Spirit that brought together the tribes so that they may approach David in in 2 Samuel, for example, and say something like, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Humanly speaking, there's absolutely no reason to think the people of old would have ever got their act together in and of themselves to come to this point of unity. I mean, read the account of the judges, for example. The account of the judges. Time and time again, uh, Israel finds themselves in, in great turmoil because of their rebellion and are handed over into judgment. It'd be, it, 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 you'd, you'd think, humanly speaking, it would be impossible for these people to ever be united. Yet the truth is, the wonderful works of God can time and time again transcend human reasoning. And the things that we think are unlikely or unrealistic or perhaps impossible, for God they are not. Many, if not all of us today, can attest to this. We are a living testimony of this. Humanly speaking, there is no reason to think any of us today, right now, would be here in this room apart from the finished work of Christ. There's no reason to think any of us will be here apart from Christ and His finished work on the cross. 
This is because we are born at enmity with God. We grow in rebellion to his law as we get older and older and embrace our sin. And ultimately, we come to the point where we want nothing to do with him and live in such a way. This is the life of the natural man living in his sin. We are born sinners before a thrice holy God in need of his grace. Yet as recipients of his grace, as the people of God, we are to live in light of what Christ has done for us. And in doing so, we are to seek to maintain and promote unity as brethren. And in doing so, we will find great blessing. Notice again, verse 1. The psalmist calls this picture of the united tribes good and pleasant. There is a blessing that is linked to the unity that David speaks of here. It's good and pleasant. Indeed, brethren that dwell together in unity are blessed by God in a particular way. And it was good for them, it is good for us, for a few reasons. First, unity is a gift from above. Therefore, it is good. We may stop there and say it is from God. It is His will for us to be united as the people of God is from above. It is a gift of God. As the Word of God tells us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. As I mentioned briefly a few moments ago, these image bearers, are we are recipients of God's grace. And the people of old, when, when especially for men like David, uh, to observe this, he would have had to see it as an absolute work of the triune God. So first and foremost, this unity is good, and the psalmist may say it is good, and we may affirm what the psalmist says is good because it is of God and not of man. That is first and foremost. Secondly, brotherly unity is good, it's called good, because it is a means by which we may grow in Christ both individually and corporately. Unity is good because it is a means by which we may grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's a beautiful thing when we see two brethren come together, knowing they have many disagreements. Maybe let's use a common example. Presbyterian Baptist come together for the sake of the gospel. Likewise, it is even a greater blessing to see something like this, corporately speaking. We grow both as individual Christians and as members of our local body when we seek to maintain unity. Brotherly unity at times uh, is a means that we may find strength and safety. This is another reason we may call it good. Brotherly unity at times is a means by which we may find great strength and safety. David here recognizes how good it is for the people of old to gather together because they are not divided. And when they are divided, they are unsafe. They lack strength. This is simply the case because when we are in isolation, when we are alone, that is the time we are most vulnerable. That is the time where we are most prone to wander prone to do that which God says is wicked. Yet when we are together, we are stronger. Why? Well, we are held accountable. We are given counsel. 
We are led. We are fed. We are nourished. Finally, it is good because as we maintain, or as we seek to cultivate this unity, as we seek to embrace this unity, we maintain peace within the household of God. This unity is good because by it, we maintain the peace purchased for us by the Prince of Peace. You know, growing up with girls and boys in the home, I'm the oldest of of five in my home, we had um, a lot of conflict in the house. I mean, growing up, we were at each other's throats left and right. My dad worked 60 hours a week. My mom stayed home and raised us. And she dealt with conflict almost every other day. And that's probably an understatement. And, you know, the, the times that were most difficult for my mom were, again, when we were at each other's throats. But some of the best times for my mom were when we were united, we were at peace, where we know we might have had disagreements as brother and sister, whether it be what we wanted for dinner, where we wanted to go on summer vacation, whatever it may be. Yet when we were able to have a unity in the household, there was a great peace. There was a great calm. Things weren't as hectic. We weren't at each other's throats. This is likewise the case with the household of God. While we don't have a loving mother necessarily walking around and overseeing all of God's people and their actions and seeking to understand their motives, we have a loving Father who blesses us with His Spirit and with unity that is unbreakable, a unity that is in Christ. Secondly, the psalmist writes how it is pleasant. This unity is pleasant. It's not only good, but it is pleasant. It is easy to gloss over this text and assume that these descriptors are synonymous, really. Yet there is a distinction here made, and I think it's made for a great reason. So unity is pleasant for many reasons, I think we can conclude. One being that there is a great delight experienced by the people of God when we are united. There is a great delight that we experience in unity. It is pleasant for us as God's people to dwell together in unity. There are few things, I would say, that communicate such a love of God and a love of neighbor that is like this. Second, it is pleasant, as we naturally know quite well, because it is better than that which is unpleasant. This is common sense. It is pleasant for us to be unified as the people of God Because we know very well what it was like to have no unity, to have no peace, to have no grace. We remember outside of Christ, we had a lack of direction, no understanding of true love. We understand what an unpleasant life was like. Yet this, what God has given us in his household with his people by his grace, is good because it is nothing like that of old. And lastly, brotherly unity is pleasant, saints, because it is a taste of heaven delight. Brotherly unity is pleasant for you and I because it is a taste of heaven. Yesterday I had the privilege of enjoying some fellowship with some of you brothers and sisters in Christ, and it was a great time. And in the midst of laughing and maybe a joke of some sorts, someone said, all of us here together 
this is like a little taste of heaven. Something of that sort. One of you guys said that, and I, I heard it, and I said, amen. And I'm not thinking of all of the things that we're actually uh, delighting in, all of the Christian liberties. I'm thinking of the greater picture, the unity that we have together, the common bond that has brought us to delight in these Christian liberties, that bond being of peace. Much more can be said here, but for the sake of time, I want to move us on to our final point. That is the goal of this unity. And it comes to no surprise. And there are many purposes, there are many goals, I think, within uh, this, this topic. We may, we may conclude that there are many purposes with regards to unity. But the greatest of these saints is that God may be glorified. That's a goal of our unity. That God may receive the glory. We ought to praise God for his special providence that he bestows upon the church. He loves the church in a particular way and shows it by way of providence day in and day out. The example here being unity. We ought to praise God for this. Surely this was David's purpose in penning the psalm. right? David's not just merely writing some historical narrative. He's not merely giving us his diary, a journal of sorts. Here's what I'm seeing today. It's kind of cool. No, no, no. David's praising the Lord. David is praising the Lord in this psalm. As a man after God's own heart, who's focused on the worship and praise of Jehovah. All the psalms. It's no different. What's interesting about Psalm, uh, psalm 133, though, is how it begins. You know, so we kind of jumped around in this psalm. We didn't address how it begins. He starts by saying, Behold. Behold. Look, see what God has done. In other words, is what the psalmist is saying here. He starts with praise in his mouth. Behold, look. One theologian comments saying, It is a wonder seldom seen. Therefore, behold it. It may be seen, for it is the characteristic of real saints, meaning it is observable. We can see unity within the church. Therefore, fail not to inspect it. There's an exhortation here. It is worthy, it is well worthy of admiration. Pause and gaze upon it. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure who this is. I believe it's Spurgeon. Though. I think Spurgeon, this, is, this sounds a lot like Spurgeon. Pause, gaze upon it. It will charm you. It will charm you. Therefore, note it well. So in closing here, I'd like to leave us with a few points of contemplation. The first is, is something that I had to ask myself and stop my preparations a couple times to really think about. And that is, do I take unity for granted? Do we take unity for granted? This is something that we should think about. Saints, the unity that we have in our churches, God must be praised for that. The way he will be praised is if we observe it. We need to avoid taking unity for granted. We need to avoid taking anything that God bestows upon us by his grace for granted. A unity. Oh, the blessings that, are, that we see in this text. Why would we ever want to take it for granted? So do we take it for granted or do we consider it 
well. We consider it well. This is, I think, more so emphasized for us men in, in this room leading God's people. Are we observing the unity in our church and praising the Lord for it? Uh, this, I, I didn't write this in my notes because I didn't want to choke up saying it, but I think it'll be fine. Um, I, uh, in October, we had Pastor Smith's uh, fulfillment of his ministry, and that was a very good Lord's Day, but it was a very emotional Lord's Day. And um, I remember walking up to him after we all gave him a hug, and it was right by the pulpit, and I pointed out to God's people, and I said, this is the work of the Lord. And what we were looking at, Brother Smith and myself, was unity, was our being united in Christ and praising the Lord for its men leading your churches. It is good to do that. It is excellent to do that, that we may praise the Lord. Second, do we seek to maintain and protect the unity that Christ has provided for us? We have a responsibility. We're not robots, as one of you mentioned yesterday, which I say quite often. We're not robots. Um, we have responsibility to maintain, to cultivate the unity that has been purchased for us in Christ. Which means we have responsibility to pray for each other, to encourage each other to love each other as the people of God so do we seek to maintain and protect that unity one thing is recognizing it but then when we recognize it do we seek to cherish it like you men cherish your wives do you seek to cherish it it's a good question we must ask we must consider finally do we await the unity in Christ free from sin do we await the unity in Christ free from sin? There's a greater unity that we must consider when reading the 133rd Psalm. I was talking to Brother Jerizzo this morning, and I think of this text and how David is seeing all of the people of God, and he makes this observation of their unity being good and pleasant. And what it would be like in the last day where we are presented before God, holy and blameless, unified, without sin, with all these disagreements, with all these quarrels, free from sin. Do we think of this unity? Do we await this unity? Do our eyes stay focused on this unity as we press on and live for the kingdom? I want to, before I close in prayer, I want us to uh, consider this psalm, even now, at this very moment, being gathered together by common confession, delighting in the goodness of God, understanding how pleasant it is for us to be gathered together this morning, that we may praise him, that we may give him thanks. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do come before you once again and thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the unity that we have in Christ, the bond of peace. We ask, Lord, that you would continue by your spirit to work in each and every one of us in our churches, that we may glorify you in all that we do. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.